How's it going, guys? Uh, <laughs> welcome to Evolutionary Medicine, and I am here with Dr. Joe, our uh, resident doctor here. And uh, yeah, you were so I was saying that Coffee Brown, who was our special guest last week, he came and joined us for a good discussion. He couldn't make this time, but he's going to be more of a regular. He should be here next week, and we're going to talk about ADHD and autism and amphetamines yes. and all sorts of good things. So he's going to join us for that, for that conversation. Which was a viewer suggestion from yeah. last week, so that should be pretty fun. Mm -hmm. um, I should go back and make sure I ping that person. We should. To make sure that they don't miss it. But so. today the topic is food. <clears throat> yes. It's going to be evolution and food, food or food evolution. Yes. And Maybe. we're going to bring in, uh, we'd be happy to answer any questions you guys have. And I'll bring in my own personal spin, which of course, if, if viewers have seen me before, you know that I'm kind of into the microbiome. Yep. So We're both kind of in the, into yeah. the microbiome. <laughs> so that provides a pretty good way to organize your thinking about food and what's good for us and about how we could have, may have co-evolved both with nutrition and with the microbes in our guts. So this should be a nice way to uh, introduce that topic. Yeah. And everybody loves food. That's true. I, I certainly do. Yeah. It comes up all the time in conversation. Oh, yeah. You know? Because <laughs> you're always just waiting for the next time you get to eat. Right. That's how I live my life. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was, listen, I remember my going to my grandmother's farm in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the whole experience revolved around food. Now, they actually yeah. grew their own food. They had a big garden. But every single event was planning for the next big meal and the big event. So that, that's a very, very fond memory that I have. Yeah. I mean, every family gathering usually revolves around some sort of food. Most that's holidays true. revolve around food. I mean, pretty much our entire lives revolve around food yeah. one way or another. And let's not, let's not forget drink. <laughs> That's true. Because you know, drink true. is an important yes. part of the whole experience. That's right. And there's a microbial story in, that we can talk about with oh, yeah. fermented foods, too. So we'll get into that. I think we should have a whole episode on fermented foods, honestly. Okay. I Honestly, that, that <laughs> one I've been holding on to for yeah. an episode of Science Happy Hour. Okay. Where we do the science of fermentation. It seems like so it's sort of a natural maybe one. Maybe we should have you on for I'm, that I'm a little one. surprised you haven't already. I, well, so it's part of the sustenance series, mm -hmm. which has an episode every once in a while. Speaking of which, the next one is this Friday, where we're doing Science of Wine 2.0. So it's just in the, the, it's in the pipeline. It okay. hasn't happened yet. So all things fermented. Yes. All right, yes, sounds yes. good. Yeah, we can make some kimchi and pickles and all kinds of Might stuff. Might as well have an on-air eating experience. Oh yeah, we're at it, you we know? have done that before. We mm -hmm. did have a, a diet-related episode once before. Um, not necessarily microbiome-related, but yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, food, yay! <laughs> uh, <clears throat> best parties are when they move to the kitchen. It's true, it's true. That's People true. tend to congregate in the kitchen too. Have you guys noticed that at parties? No, it makes, makes sense. So if anybody's like building a house or designing a house or doing a remodel, Make sure you have enough space in the kitchen to you know accommodate that. Oh yeah, for sure. I have this crazy amount of like space in my home for entertaining, and yet everybody's always in the kitchen. So that yeah. was maybe a miscalculation on my part. This one's a, a this time of year is when everyone's eating Girl Scout cookies, including Anne, our buddy. So oh great! This is a a food item that's on everyone's mind these days. Mm -hmm. So yes, yes, they're shout, all gone. Shout now. out for Thin Mints. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I like tagalongs right. too. Okay, those are. Also and just delicious. you know, pro tip: neither neither one of those are actually good for you. Nope. So we'll just we'll just leave that there. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> but they sure all. taste good, and they're darn addictive. Oh yeah, I yeah. I'm not sure I've ever been able to not eat a whole a mm. uh, whole row of thin a little mints. plastic sleeve of yeah, thin mints. This, yeah, the sleeve. They yeah, have yeah. a way of disappearing. <clears throat> they do that on purpose. They do. I feel like they know. They understand. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, food. Uh, shall we move over to our lovely slides? Well, we can. And before we kind of jump into the slides, yeah. you know, when people think about evolution and food, I think people tend to kind of do this little mind warp and think about what life was like in the Pleistocene. Oh, or, yes, the paleo or, diet. So, you know, I'm actually wasn't prepared <clears throat> to talk about the paleo diet sure. per se, but mm -hmm. we can definitely talk about it. Yeah. But when people think about why is it that we like high sugar foods and lots of fat, you know, Talking about our that our, makes yeah our, makes uh, perfect evolutionary cookies. sense. Yeah. These were thought to be scarce in the environment, having energy dense foods were just not available, right. and so of course people tend to prioritize them when we like those foods. And the same same might go for salt. So th those yeah. are some those are some of the I would say conventional ideas that 
explain perhaps why it is that we like foods that aren't good for us. Right. And we have talked in the past about <clears throat> maybe microbes affecting our taste buds and um, affecting our taste preferences. Yes. That's another yes, possibility. Yes. But I think if we just think about what it is that foods, how they interact with our the microbes in our in our bodies, that that is a good way to think about whether a food is healthy or not. Yeah, we aren't just passively taking in food. We have other things in there that are also essentially taking in that food as well, one yeah. way or another. So, so yeah, so <laughs> you, you never actually eat alone. So if you're no. having a meal and you're yeah. feeling lonely, That's right. you, you actually have... I don't know, 30 trillion little buddies that <laughs> yeah. are living inside you. No and, big deal. And you're sharing your meal Just with them. It's my entourage. It's your entourage. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one, actually. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the microbial entourage. That's right. <laughs> Trademark that. That's good. <laughs> so, yeah, so we have to think about, well, what are the consequences of everything that we put into our mouths or don't put into our mouths? What is the impact of that on ourselves and, our, and our, on our microbes? Yeah. And what does that mean for our health and well-being as a human? Yeah. So I've gotten to the point where when I talk to colleagues, and there's lots of people, like you said, that are interested in food yeah. and in nutrition. And when they talk about things without bringing in the microbe part of the story, I get kind of nervous and antsy. And yeah. I'm like, how can you know, you simply can't talk about food without this elephant in the room. It's not really an elephant. It's 30, 30 trillion microbes. Yeah. <laughs> and, the, and the impact that those have on our health. So when we talk about, say... Simple sugar or sugary carbonated drinks being bad for you? Well, they're bad for you in part because of what they do to your microbes. Yes. And how your microbes interact with you when you're eating a diet which is high in sugary right. sodas. So again, pro tip, let's avoid the sugary sodas. They're a bad idea. Yeah. You know, I'm not I'm not I'm not 100% on the anti-carb idea. So okay. we can we can kind of go into that that a little bit too. <clears throat> but certainly eating, you know, processed cane sugar or sugary soft drinks. It's just a bad idea. It's just not something that, especially super, super processed sugars. Uh, right. we're, it's just not something that we are really evolved to be processing through our bodies. Yeah. It's extra available, if you will. Exactly. <clears throat> um, well, I will. In the previous episode that we had um, on diet, we, uh, we looked at Gary Taub's book. Hmm. Um, uh, I'm forgetting what it's called. It's about sugar. Yeah, it's about sugar. Uh, the case against sugar. The case against sugar. Yeah, sorry, I forgot the name. So um, does Gary Taub <clears throat> talk about the microbiome? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Okay. He does, yeah. But most most of it is, um, he starts to go into some of the early science, looking at what sugar, like how physiologically sugar is processed in the body and what it's doing over time yeah. um, <clears throat> to things like the liver pancreas, etc. So if I understand, I've, I've read some of his work. Mm -hmm. A lot of what he talks about doesn't involve the microbiome. It's talking about right. how sugar actually interacts with your body. Yes. So one thing that, that I think is probably true, and it <clears throat> might, might not be impossible to do this experiment, but it would, be, it would be for us humans, is that if we evolved without a microbiome, there's no reason why sugar would be bad for us. Mm. So, so I'm saying that the reason why junk food is bad for us is because we have evolved along with these microbes that compete with us for food. Ah, uh, okay. And so the outcome of that co-evolution of ourselves and our microbiome has made it so that simple, a, a, a high sugar diet for us is very, very bad. I mean, not bad be bad for a hummingbird, but it's definitely bad for us. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It's not like there's some even mammal universal saying that sugar is bad dietarily. Yeah. Um, and this is what's so powerful about the, these germ-free studies, where they make they raise animals without a microbiome, right. and then they can feed, they can more or less feed them whatever. They can feed them pure junk food, high fat, high sugar diet, and they don't get fat, they don't get diabetes, they don't die early. They're able to tolerate these supposedly unhealthy foods in the absence of a microbiome. And that's not to say that sugar sugar does interact with your body. Yeah, it interacts with you know, your pancreas and produces insulin gets taken up as glycogen and goes into your liver. All right. those things happen. But even for us, if there was a way to make us germ-free, and you kind of can with antibiotics, um, temporarily, sure. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like to do an experiment, we could tolerate junk foods. It's just that's not a recipe for long-term hmm. health. Interesting. All right? So most of what Gary Taub says mm -hmm. is um, <clears throat> talks about that just physiological process. And right. with the sheer amount of sugar that we are getting, 
uh, on a daily basis that that process is not really built to deal with that amount of sugar and then that those chronically high levels of sugar just the processing alone can have effects i mean they're essentially promoting insulin resistance and it's just the i i i'm wondering if if he's maybe missing the microbiome piece of that or i'm wondering if there is one i think his attention is focused in on something else okay and i you know i like to bring people draw people back into the microbiome I think it's so important. And like I said, it's true. You can take an experimental mouse, you can make them germ-free, you can feed them essentially, as long as you're not giving them arsenic, you right. can feed them any combination of sugar and fat and, and, and salt, and they don't get sick. So would that, so in the absence of a microbiome, say in a human, the mm -hmm. same process that, um, that he is saying promotes things like insulin resistance and then diabetes thereafter, mm -hmm. would that not occur? in the absence of a microbiome? So in us? Yeah. Well, like I said, we haven't done that experiment. Right, we don't know the answer, but theoretically? Yeah. Theoretically, I would say that if, if there was a way to make humans <clears throat> have not have a microbiome and make it make it so we could breed people without a microbiome, mm -hmm. again, I'm not, I'm not right, advocating right. for this. Yeah, yeah, but <laughs> this is not experiment. really a Sooner or later, we would be able to tolerate junk food with no problem. Interesting. But this is what I think, and like I said, it's hard to propose an experiment that you can't actually yeah, do. Yeah, so that, yeah. That's sort of anti-scientific. Sure. Because uh, I believe it was Karl Popper that said that to be scientific, you have to be able to falsify your argument. Right. But you could do an experiment with a you know an animal, and you could breed them for some hmm. period of, of years and see what happens. Interesting. But yeah, so I am very microbiome-centric. I think that junk food is junk food because of the microbiome. I really think this is true. I think that okay. healthy food is healthy food because, because of, the of the microbiome. microbiome. And we can harness the microbiome and actually make our lives healthier and better. And it can, it should, it, that, that concept <clears throat> should inform your food choices. Okay. If it's true. Well, speaking of food choices, well, right. actually, before we get to that point, um, right. can a human even survive without a microbiome? That's a really good question. So I remember I went to a conference on the microbiome in 2012. Okay. And I asked people that. Because everybody likes to focus on the good part of the microbiome. Mm -hmm. And the microbiome does do good things for us. Right. It can protect us from infection. That's the main thing it does. And it can produce vitamins that are useful to us. Um, but you might think that maybe, uh, maybe we have to have a microbiome. I will tell you that people in the intensive care unit, um, after they've been had their <laughs> microbiomes obliterated by antibiotics, right. they don't tend to do very well. Yeah. But that's usually because they're then susceptible to getting an infection. Yep. But if you could have someone truly in a sterile environment, hmm. I would predict that humans could survive without a microbiome. Mice can. Okay, right. Um, birds, uh, birds are able to do it. Okay. So like chicks, that chickens can be raised germ-free. Uh, and, and various insects can. Now there are some species of animals that can't. And I think that they're mostly invertebrates that, that have been shown to not be able to survive or reproduce mm. without a microbiome. Okay. But as far as I know, every mammal that's been looked at has been able to, to survive without a microbiome. And in mm. fact, um, there are some examples of animals living longer. Mice live longer without a microbiome. Interesting. Rats live longer without a microbiome. Pigs live longer without a microbiome. Wow, that's crazy. Chicks, chickens can live longer without a microbiome. So for us, it's more about not having the ability yeah. to be in a truly sterile environment that yeah. prevents us from doing that. Like I said, if you're a termite and your life involves chewing on wood or cellulose and you have <laughs> to have that breakdown of the cellulose by a, by a microbe, mm -hmm. then yeah, you'd have a tough time surviving without a microbiome. And the same goes if you're a strict you know, plant eater, a leaf eater, or if, you know, if you're a cow and you have a rumen that you need to have microbes that digest the food for you. But we don't. Actually, part of being human is the fact that we don't rely on our microbiome to digest food. That's true. That makes us unlike, yeah. say, a, a lowland gorilla or a howler monkey that eat mostly plants. Right. The part of our guts that are dependent on fermentation for, for survival just are, they're very small, much smaller. We've evolved to not need that for, to, to survive. So could the microbiome be considered a vestigial cohabitation? Do we think it's... Well, what does vestigial mean? So meaning that it's not yeah. necessary and it's hmm. a byproduct of something? <clears throat> I think it's more complicated than that. Maybe not byproduct. Just because we've always had a microbiome. Yeah, I don't know that sort. we... Yeah, it's not like... And we can't quite get rid of it. We had a microbiome, we're using it, and yeah. then now all of a sudden we aren't using it. That's like the, I guess the traditional 
colloquial meaning of vestigial. Right. So I think of vestigial in terms of evolution as describing things like wisdom teeth. Right. But people say, yeah. well, maybe we needed them back in they the day. They lost their function. I had mine carved out of my face right. by, <clears throat> by a, um, a maxillofacial surgeon mm -hmm. when I was like 15 years old. It was a horrible experience. Ouch. But the argument was, yeah, you don't need these and they're going to do you harm. Yeah, yeah. And you can make the same argument about the appendix that's vestigial, that maybe it serves some function back when we were plant eaters, mm -hmm. but it doesn't anymore. Haven't I seen some things recently uh, showing mm -hmm. that we know a little bit more about its current function and it's not at least zero? Well, that's what I think. There's, there have been two or three papers that describe the appendix as being a safe house for mm. beneficial bugs in your microbiome. Oh, in your interesting. Microbiome. So again, I'm not making the argument but that the microbiome is all bad. Right. I think that the point that I like to make about the microbiome is it's both good and bad. And that's, that's really the key. So as far as the, as the appendix goes, your gut and your microbes in your abdomen can cause a terrible infection. <clears throat> and all, probably all of us have experienced diarrhea. So we get this rapid motility, everything is flushed out. So you can imagine that if there were some good microbes, they might be housed in the appendix, and that could allow you to repopulate your, your, uh, your guts after you get sick. Interesting. So that's one mm. idea. This is not my research. I don't even know if it's true, but I think it's a plausible and kind Seems of interesting plausible. idea. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to look into that more. That's interesting. Uh, going mm. back to the sugar real quick. Sugar. Do you have any personal recommendations for how much sugar someone should actually be eating? Do you All know right. much about this? Well, we'll get into why, you know, certain foods, why we should consider them good or bad. And so I'd say processed, simple sugar in general is bad, and you should try to minimize it. We definitely get flooded with excess sugar in our it's modern everywhere. diet. And that's just, the, the yeah. I think that's the most dangerous thing about it, is that it's, it's mm -hmm. hidden sources. It's in everything. Yeah. And it's, yeah, a lot so of people I, don't I mean, think about it that when way. When you really think about it, I think that, Tobbs makes this argument mm -hmm. that when you go in the supermarket and you just kind of look around, you can kind of have the idea that, man, everything in here is trying to poison me. It's got all this added sugar. They've taken out processed food basically right. means you've added very easy to digest things like sugars and fats and yep. salt. And they've Make taken the fiber good. out. Yeah. So like a, a food that's not been processed typically has lower amount of sugar mm -hmm. and more fiber. Unfortunately, as far as the microbiome goes, they've taken out the good stuff and they've added yeah, some of the bad stuff. Yeah, you need that fiber. So that's true. And so when I say that the modern, say, North American diet is bad for us, well, we know that from looking at uh, Tohono O'odham Native Americans. Mm, okay. So you know the Tell story? Tell me more. No, I the, don't. The Pima Indians? Oh, the Pima. Okay, Pima, sure. Pima Paradox. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, yes. So I, just I as an accident of history, the Pima Indians, otherwise known as Tohono O'odham, they live in southern Arizona, and the border goes between U.S. and Mexico goes right through right. their nation. So there are Mexican Pima, or Tohono O'odham, and there are Arizonan, the group. Yep. So back in the 60s and 70s, people realized that obesity and diabetes was very common in the Arizona side, but not so much on the Mexico side. And the Native Americans living in Mexico, again, these are genetically the same people, right. separated by an international border. Um, but the ones that ate a traditional diet, mostly of corn and beans, kind of subsistence <laughs> agriculture, they had <laughs> they were lean and had essentially no diabetes. Yep. The Tohono O'odham who adopted the traditional, you know, eating spam and sugary foods and yep. McDonald's on the weekends, mm -hmm. well, they became overweight. Up to 90% of them actually have diabetes. So it's a huge, huge proportion That's of crazy. the population. So when you think about diet, so the only thing different here is the food and maybe right. a little bit about physical activity. Sure. So that tells us that something about our diet is quite bad for that group in particular maybe people that aren't of that ethnic background are a little more protected. It's also um, similar to the Hispanic health paradox as well. Exactly. Um, yeah. Which is, it's a very similar thing. It's not What's this, that? you know, uh, sort of arbitrary s separation. It's mm -hmm. more that people who migrate here uh, and have been here for only a short amount of time are typically healthier. Uh, than their longer living in America counterparts. And I think healthier than everybody. Yeah, actually. So the general yes. population. So Hispanics living, say, in southern New Mexico, Arizona. Right. Or northern New Mexico, for that matter. Mm -hmm. um, that there are certain groups of, of folks that eat a more traditional diet that tend to do better. So, so the lesson, I think, is that 
if you eat the diet that you've spent a little bit of your evolutionary time eating, right? Okay, maybe not ten or a hundred thousand years sure, ago. Sure, yeah. We don't yeah. have to go totally Stone Age Paleo. Yeah. But the diet, certainly the, the Tohono O'odham ate, which actually had a lot of carbs in it. They weren't mm -hmm. even just mastodon, right? And, Tons of corn. You know, bison. Yeah. They had lots of corn, lots of beans. Yep. And they they do well as from a health perspective. That's that's their that's the ideal diet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, so it's it's the the processedness that I think is yeah. the key there. Um, so unfortunately, so pros, pr preferring processed foods also seems to be a, a human trait. Mm. You know? Mm, interesting. And if you think about it, we're the only species that cooks. So yes. cooking is kind of food that processing. Is, yeah, it is, right? certainly. Or even just mushing something up. Yeah, also Sma when, smashing when things. Basically, food processing is part of being human. We've just taken it over the cliff as far as I'm concerned. Sure. Mm -hmm. So this is a uniquely human thing that we do. We process foods. We make it more, quote-unquote, nutritious. We concentrate the calories. We take out some of the fiber, although not all, traditionally. And that, that's what humans have done for the last mm -hmm. 100,000 years. Fiber is really good for you. And I, I've heard a lot recently about if you have sugar that is, like, say... A piece of fruit for example mm -hmm. there's obviously sugars inside of that piece of fruit but it's also coupled with some amount of, of fiber and that that's generally a better source of sugar quote-unquote uh, yeah. than drinking a soda or something like that and part of the reason why it could be better mm -hmm. for you is because of the presence of that fiber um, well, that's right I have heard um, 50 grams I th is it 50 grams? Yeah, it is grams. That seems an, like an unbelievable amount. But of fiber? Of, of sugar is kind of like you're supposed to have like less than 50 a day, um, which is surprisingly yeah. hard. Well, the other lesson, and again, I'm not a diet guru or anything. Right, and that's just something I've heard. I'm not putting my stamp People who try to very strictly restrict how much they eat or, or try to count calories and look at, say, a low limit of the number of carbs that they eat, that's, I think, a recipe for disaster, and people just can't do it long term. Yeah. You know, it works maybe short term. In fact, any diet really seems to work in terms of weight loss short term, but these things are not going to make you healthy in the long term. In fact, right. people will, they fail to do it. Yeah. So, it's more about finding what works for you and, mm -hmm. and something that would, you would actually be able to sustain, um, maybe slightly on the healthier side of the spectrum, hopefully. Yeah. Uh, and slightly less sugar. <laughs> um, but getting back but to yeah. that, that food processing thing. Yes. Um, hey, so Uncle humans Bill, have tended to, like I said, concentrate energy in, in what they eat and take fiber out. So I think the advent of fire, so Richard Wrangham says that's about maybe maybe close to 100,000 years ago, yeah. almost when humans first appeared. Mm -hmm. There's some evidence of charcoal in some of these ancient human sites. So cooking, if you think about it, is actually food processing. It's oh, yeah. heating up. Breaking down some of those the fibers um, actually makes a lot of the, the nutrients more bioavailable to yes. us. So it might be something that um, has permitted us to evolve big brains, uh, have, certainly has evolved a different digestive tract from our close ape relatives mm -hmm. like chimpanzees and gorillas. Uh, so that's, that's food processing. Yeah. And then if you think about what agriculture is, agriculture has required a certain amount of food processing to take care of the grains that we grow, um, and that's also been a, a massive kind of advance, if you think about it, uh, for what, again, what makes us a modern human. But Absolutely. outsourcing all of our food production to Nestle or to General Mills or to M&M Mars mm -hmm. is going to be a mistake. Yeah. Because they've taken that to the extreme extreme, and people might, might still hey, pref cool have preferences for these foods, but it's going to make us, make us sick. Yeah. It's kind of like the, you know, it's everything's a pendulum swing. This right. is just the the farthest pendulum swing going more towards we're, we're mushing things up, we're cooking, and right. then we've gone, you know, 100,000 years doing that, and now we're just extra, extra, extra processing in a way that's not healthy. Yeah. So, so. if I said that junk food is bad, of us be, bad for us because of the microbiome, I mean, fiber is good for us because of the microbiome. Right, absolutely. If you feed a, a germ-free animal fiber, it's going to do absolutely nothing for them. Really? <laughs> it's going to go out the other end without any... You know, I mean, technically, so you can't digest it, and that's part of the reason why we need it. Yeah. Um, because they need it. Well, you get some bang for your buck. Yeah. If you eat, if you eat dietary fiber, 
So you don't have the means to actually break down those right. complex carbohydrates and take the energy out of them. But the microbes do. And the yes. microbes will then ferment these things. And you can extract about 10%, well, for us, about 10% of our dietary energy comes out of fermentation. All right, so there's, wow. there's our fermentation again. There you you go. need the microbes to, to get that bang for your buck or that amount of energy that you get out of yeah. it. Yeah, and they're very happy eating it. They're happy too. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, all right. Well, let's, let's, let's move on to our, our slides then and maybe get off our soapbox a little bit. <laughs> okay. Or perhaps stay on it. I don't know. I mean, we're not really truly soapboxing. You know. I'm giving it a good go. Yeah, you know. Mm -hmm. Usually, I, I associate <laughs> soapboxing with a more spirited argument. We're, we're having a, a nice, quiet, civil conversation, so it's not, not quite soapboxing. All right. <laughs> um, all right. So, what do we have today? An eel. So, that's, that is a mora eel, and that's a cleaner shrimp. Mm -hmm. So, audience... What do we call people on Twitch? Um, community members. Community members. I've heard people. I've heard people say Twitchers, and then I've also yeah. heard people say, "If you say Twitcher, then you know nothing about Twitch." So we'll call we'll call community members. Yeah. Have you guys gone Viewers. scuba diving? Have you been to? Uh, I've seen these guys in Hawaii. In chat. Yes, you can call us chat. That All makes right. sense. Chat. Yes. Have you seen seen these guys scuba diving? Because I have, and it's pretty awesome. All right, the mora eel has a bunch of little sharp teeth. And here's the cleaner shrimp, which is actually in its mouth. And mm -hmm. this is actually an example of, of a mutualism. Yeah. The, I love these the examples. The cleaner shrimp actually eats little bits of food in the more eel's mouth. The eel, in return, does not kill the shrimp, amazingly, because you'd, you'd think that it would. Right. <laughs> it's just right there. All it has to do is shut its mouth. <laughs> but they actually have learned they go to these cleaner stations, and the fish kind of line up, and they all get cleaned by the, by the shrimp. It's amazing. There's so here's... Here's an example of cooperation between two unrelated yeah. species around nutrition and food. So cooperation does happen. So I bring this up because the same thing does happen in our guts too. Yes. There is an yeah, opportunity true. for some cooperative arrangements between ourselves and our and our gut microbes. This happens a lot in sharks too. Certain small fishes will right. hang out on top of sharks and clean off their mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah, so they're a cleaner fish too. Mm -hmm. And so if you haven't seen this, put on some snorkel gear. Go to, I saw the last place I saw this was actually in Kauai in uh, in Hawaii. Oh, cool! Um, where I saw something along these lines. Nice. Uh, a, a I don't think station. I've ever seen it in real life. No. It was really Sunday. amazing. So the fish, all fish that go to these cleaner stations, will also kind of signal to. In the case yeah, of Kauai, they were um, sure. they were cleaner fish, and the fish kind of they lie on their side and they'll kind of flex their pectoral fins mm -hmm. and they give these crazy displays. And that's that's bringing the cleaner fish in. That will kind of clean clean things off of them, um, and again, the predatory fish don't eat the cleaner fish, so it's really yeah. a, a nice example of cooperation. Yeah, this is kind of all over the place. Um, yeah. Birds and alligators. I think I've heard something about that before too. Hey, what's up, inner life? Um, yeah, it's all over the place. Interesting, and also inside of us. So. No, I'm Patrick. Yes, we're all Patrick. We're all Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> I think they were. I think they were. Um, Simulating the conversation between the two. I yeah, think. I think. Likely. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, <clears throat> so if that's cooperation over food. Here's an example of conflict. Yep. We got a. I think it's a new or it's a wildebeest. Yes. And it's being attacked by both lions and hyenas. Mm -hmm. And I forget which which group actually made the kill, but clearly the lion would like to monopolize those I think resources. Hyenas are. Mostly scavengers. I think you're right. So, so I'd probably put my money on the, lion. the lion killed the wildebeest, yeah. and now they're fighting over it. So here, here you have a valuable resource, a bit of a package of energy oh, yeah. that was in that wildebeest, and that can go to making more lions, <coughs> or it can go to making more hyenas. And in this case, you got the two or unre keeping unrelated the groups. Ones healthy. Or keeping them healthy, so they can live another day. Yes. And if you're a predator, this is kind of what, what it's all about. So just because cooperation exists in the animal, animal world does not mean that. It's all cooperative. So when you right. hear something about, oh yeah, we have to take care of your friendly little microbes mm -hmm. because all they're doing is good things for you, it's not totally true. They, they have the opportunity sometimes to kind of divert resources from you and they can, they can actually make you sick in important ways. So I think that a lot of the microbiome science loses track of this. When we think about nutrition, in fact, I heard a talk today on, it was a TEDx talk oh. by somebody that I like, 
And I was listening to talk thinking, oh, that's kind of not true. And, oh, and that's the speaker fun. was going on and on <laughs> about how you need the microbes to again give you all this extra food, nutrition, and it's so wonderful. But no, they can your relationship with your microbes can kind of be like the, what we see here with the hyenas <coughs> and the lions. There can be a fight over food. It's a delicate balancing act. I, I, I think that's probably the take-home message from every discussion we've had previously about microbiome, that it can be both good and bad, and ultimately what's going on inside of us all the time is we are keeping them at bay, and mm -hmm. they are helping us out in the process. So you can just stop watching now. Yeah. That's the take-home point. There you go. It's a balance. The end. Good, bad, and <laughs> uh, no. It's <laughs> true of most things, right? I mean, but yeah. But I, I think because microbiome is such a hot ticket right now, um, it seems like most of what is talked about in terms of the microbiome is this beneficial side of yeah. it. It's this glowing entity inside of us that makes us awesome. So I think there are some, in the scientific community, there are some true believers who yeah. think the microbiome evolved just to do good things for us. Mm -hmm. That's not what I believe. Yeah, that just feels very um, one-sided right. yeah. to me. And even some people who I think should know better still <laughs> kind of in slip into this idea of this cooperative, purely yeah. beneficial microbial community. But I can give you plenty of examples where, where that cooperation breaks down, just like what we're seeing here with the hyenas and the there lions. There you go, yeah. So for you and the foods you eat, what mm -hmm. you want to do is you want to cultivate cooperation you want to avoid conflict. We'll be conflict avoiding here. Or if you are going to <laughs> conflict with your microbes, you want to win that conflict. Sure. And so you can do that with food choices. There you go. Um, so what what kinds, um, maybe we're going to get into this, but uh, what kinds of conflict might we see with our own microbiomes in terms of food? Well, so we will get into this. Okay. And I think if you just look at the way your gut is arranged, mm -hmm. that fermentation I was talking about, right. so like getting energy out of food, well, that happens in your colon, all right? So that's the very, very end of your digestive tract. Mm -hmm. So that's where most of the microbes live. And mm -hmm. in fact, you as a human, you tolerate the existence of about one and a half kilograms of, or two kilograms of microbes, mostly in your in lower intestine. You don't tolerate that overabundance of microbes in your small intestine. Right. Or in your stomach or esophagus. Because mm -hmm. that, yeah, that, that would, would not be kill good. you, mm -hmm. all right? Your bowel isn't isn't the, the bowel wall isn't thick enough. It can't contain the microbes. So if they exist at high densities there, they spread into your bloodstream. Next thing you know, you're in the hospital. I'm taking care of you. It's not a good idea. You don't want to be there. Yeah, All and right? that's that alone seems to be an argument that I couldn't ignore if I were trying to think that everything is beneficial about it. Well, exactly. You so know? the microbes it are not, are not there. It only exists in this one particular place because that's the only place we can kind of keep them at bay. Exactly. Thank you for that, Kate. You're welcome. It's a very good way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, that just yeah. seems like a really important point if you're trying to argue that it's all hunky-dory. Yeah. So cooperation or conflict is dependent on your body's geography, or yeah. your internal geography. So you get conflict in certain places, cooperation in others. And gotcha. yeah, a big part of your physiology is keeping the microbes kind of where they belong. Yeah, yeah. And if they escape and they're just doing their little microbial thing, they can, they can make you quite sick. So that's, that's no one good. example. That's no good. Yeah, so let's we'll we'll continue. I guess with while that. we're on that topic, because this is kind of a fun one. Yeah. Um, thinking about well, where does the conflict happen? One area of conflict has to do with in, in kids that are malnourished. So I'm thinking mm -hmm. of there's an image of a Malawian kid. I don't <clears> think I have his picture in this in the slideshow, but with the kind of the distended belly, the mm. emaciated quash your limbs, core. with kwashiorkor. Kwashiorkor is a condition in which you have a dysbiosis. So you have this unhealthy community of microbes in your guts. Right. And you have a community of microbes that's kind of looking out for itself. It is excessively diverting resources for the microbiota and not letting that growing child get access to the energy. So here you, it's almost like a parasite. You have this parasite yeah. which is, is bad. And so for these kids with kwashiorkor, you, almost, you have to treat them with antibiotics and kill off those microbes because those are conflict microbes. And part of this is diet related too. Yeah. It has to do with not enough protein in the diet. And they're eating. Um, they're actually eating. That group is eating too many, too many carbohydrates, um, and they act, they can get sick because of it. Because they get. Well, think of it as a greedy or a selfish microbiota that are taking up too much of the energy right. for the microbe itself. That's yes. how I see it. That viewpoint is consistent with the evidence. Okay. And that's that's what I think. Because as of 
my very limited knowledge of it. It's a mm -hmm. it's a just general malnourishment that if you're not getting enough energy, ultimately this will happen over a period of time. Well, again, if you or could do the experiment and you if you could make a child germ free, <clears throat> right? <laughs> then you could probably feed a kid a protein deficient diet, and they wouldn't get kwashiorkor. In other words, kwashiorkor is at least in part a disease of the microbiome. Okay. All right. And gotcha. In that case, it's not doing good things for you. No, certainly it's not. It's diverting energy. It's actually right. worsening and making the malnourishment actually even worse. So I think about this as microbes can eat your lunch. They can actually they can be excessively selfish. Sure. Yeah. And take up too much of, of your food. So that's one way the conflict can happen. Okay. Uh, hey, Kimash, what's up? Um, I, I took that image off there for you. I, I realized as soon as you came in, you might not want to see that. So oh. um, let's move yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I get rid of the the animals. Uh, other than that, I think that that should be the only you know potentially. There's no more upsetting thing. Yeah. Upsetting stuff. Yeah, yeah. Unless you think about microbiota as being upsetting. I mean, maybe. Who knows? Right. Who knows? So let's let's, let's, <laughs> let's let's move back to a vegetarian diet. Yes. Resource sharing, cooperation. This is more like the cleaner shrimp example. Mm -hmm. So here, you, you when you eat fibrous, is kind of a, a picture of what happens. You can't actually digest the fiber or get any benefit right. out of it unless you have a microbiota that is doing the fermentation. They produce these little energy bundles. They're mm. called short-chain fatty acids. Lovely. And those can be readily taken up by your little cells in your intestines and then go into your bloodstream, feed your brain, and do very good things. Yep. And so, in fact, this is an example of cooperation. So, this, the simple take-home point is if you eat fiber, you are promoting this resource sharing and this is, in general, a arrangement that you might have with your microbes that is overall healthy. So then you might think, well, why aren't we just vegetarians and just doing this, you know, this cooperative sure. thing? And I think the answer is that sometimes we're better off being a little bit selfish and, and taking up some resources without the benefit of, right. of the microbiota. Mm -hmm. So I think that we are definitely evolved to eat a little bit more than just leaves. Gotcha. Um, this is a, from a paper you are in. This is a paper like. with a couple of colleagues. Cool. Helen Washalewski, Athena Actippus, myself. Nice. Published this paper. It's called Cooperation and Conflict in the Microbiome. Look at that. <laughs> published How in relevant. 2016. So yeah, thank you for giving props to my co-authors. <laughs> they, they had a lot to do with it. I yeah, of course. I did not come up with this image. So they, they did a nice job It's a that. very nice image. I really enjoy it, yeah. actually. The energy bundles are yeah. quite uh, quite nice. Um, okay. So next up, I think we have milk. Milk. Yes. Breast so milk. So before I actually had a picture of a, a, a Chimani Bolivian woman breastfeeding, mm. but it wasn't my photograph. And yeah. I, didn't, I didn't ask the person permission if I could use sure. it. So now I just have a picture of milk in there a bottle. Go. That's probably better. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we could really, no, I don't know. For educational purposes, we might be able to get away with it, but Can't put a, a I would feel a little Can't weird put a boob about on putting, the, uh, on, putting a boob on Twitch. All right. So we, we didn't do that. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure it'll be okay. And part of you know part of public health around breastfeeding is removing the stigma around breastfeeding, and actually encouraging people to do it in public, um, because that's something which seems to be important for babies' health in general. So there was a paper that came out recently. Is it Rebecca Sears? That sounds yeah. very familiar. Anthropologist. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 She wrote something about this on the Twitters, <laughs> talking about how. Um, it's thought that some 600,000 children died because of uh, promoting formula feeding as opposed to breastfeeding. Um, ah, yes. This is Nestle, mostly in Africa, but also in other places in, in, the, in the third world. But hey, the point about breast milk is not only is it just good, but breast milk contains food that babies can't digest, cannot digest. Mm, okay. So and if you also look at antibodies and things. All yeah, all kinds I don't of good know why stuff. I motioned at my boobs when I did that. No, I thought that was <laughs> just a general, a general <laughs> hand motion. Please ignore. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you have breast milk, like all food, has, well, not all food, but has fat. It's got carbohydrate. It also has a kind of a fiber, an indigestible fiber. These are called human milk oligosaccharides. And these HMOs are the second most abundant kind of carbohydrate in breast milk. Mm. Babies can't digest HMOs. If you had a baby, just a baby, there's no digestion. So this is energetically expensive for mom to make this. Why would mom make this component of breast milk that doesn't do anything for the baby right. by itself? Good the answer, question. What's the answer? You know the answer. Microbiome? There you go. Yes. 
micro so these are, it's basically fertilizer from microbiome. And it's a very special kind of fertilizer because the HMOs, they preferentially feed a specific strain of bifidobacteria, a special kind that, that actually promotes baby's health. Wow. And um, human babies, their, their stool is dominated by this bifidobacterium strain. And if you have this, you're less likely to get diarrhea. You are more likely to, in most cultures, grow up to, uh, through childhood and become an adult and reproduce. So in other words, this is an example of resource sharing that happens between two different kinds of organisms, a human and a microbe, and also happens between two different generations. So it's intergenerational resource sharing. It's really cool when you think about it. That is very cool. So breastfeeding is super important. It is. It's, that's why it makes me sad now that I know that I was not breastfed, because it explains so much. I know. <laughs> I'm also a bundle of allergies. I think we talked about this. Yeah, yeah, we have. I was yeah. given some kind of crazy Similac, you know, soy milk. Mm -hmm. This is like, and I was, listen, yeah, I, I, was I, had a, soy. I was a baby some time ago, all right? <laughs> um, so yeah, it was actually in the yeah late 60s, early 70s, and I was, like I said, an allergic disaster. Yep. And I still am sometimes. I know. It's been so bad right now with everything blooming. My right. asthma is just like, ugh, it's right. pretty bad. So that's another story in which having the right food early in life trains your immune system to, to do beneficial things for us. Yes. So. And a lot of that yeah. goes through the microbiome. Yeah. Very important. So you might say, well, gosh, you've been talking about how the microbiome is both good and bad. That's clearly an example of how the microbiome is good, right? And I would say, yes, the microbiome is good, but it takes this push from the immune system, it takes mm. this energetic investment from mom. If you don't have that push or that, that investment, and the IgA and the immunoglobulins that you talked about, that's a big part of it, mom spends a lot of her energy adjusting baby's microbiome and making it as healthy as possible. The microbes are not gonna do this on their own. They will only do it if they're forced to be that way right. from you. Yeah, that's how and, we keep them at bay. Yeah, yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, <clears throat> Are we, so we have a question from Kimosh. I believe this is true, yes, mm -hmm. um, but I may ask for some clarification. Mm -hmm. Are we the only species that drinks infant milk beyond infancy? I'm guessing, do you mean milk in general, or do you mean like human breast milk? Um, or are you talking about other forms of milk? Because um, if you are talking mm -hmm. about other forms of milk, I believe, yes, we are the only one that actually drinks milk beyond That's a good question. Our, I, I wonder yes. what species has the longest duration yeah. of lactation. I know somebody would know the answer. I'm sure, yeah. I, I, I would imagine that it, it scales with how long they are in the infant period or right. like their general life history tra trajectory. I'm guessing maybe a killer whale okay. or something yes. like that. I have no idea. Yeah, it could be. Or maybe it's us humans. We have this very, yeah. very long we do, yeah, of, right. Of development. There's a lot of variation in how long people yeah. typically breastfeed or how long they can, yeah. even. Um, but yes, we are the only other species that actually drinks milk beyond infancy. So just and, to, uh, yeah. yeah, and it's a. I think you were bringing it up earlier that it's cow's milk is not something that many populations of humans are actually evolved to process. Um, we have lactase persistence which was the the thing that evolved it wasn't the the ancestral uh character mm -hmm. so in particular spe uh, not species sorry uh populations you have lactase persistence and some individuals in other populations obviously but uh, there are many populations who just don't have lactase persistence so, you, so why is cannot... it why is it wrong to say lactose intolerance why is it wrong to say lactose intolerance yeah um, well, you're saying you're saying lactose persistence. Lactase persistence. Lactase persistence. Yeah. So it's. I mean, they they go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So. But, but one, you get lactose intolerance if you lack lactase persistence. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's essentially. Well, this what also it is, has so. to do has to do with how we use language to kind of medicalize things that are really normal. Yeah. For the value, if you take a human at random oh, off the I planet. I see what you're saying. Okay. Most people don't have lactase persistence. Yes. And so they are therefore lactose intolerant, but they are normal. That yeah, is the normal that is human the normal condition. Human condition. Yeah. So, but there's only a subset of humans right. that have actually spent at least the last six thousand years mm -hmm. raising up dairy animals for, yes. for milk. Yep. And so those groups of humans 
have been selected for this gene of lactase persistence. Yep. So that's so it's actually pretty unique and pretty new, even for us mam humans, not to mention mammals overall, to drink milk throughout the, our lifespan. Did you have dairy today? I, I'm allergic, so no. Yeah, I, I am, so. I'm a step beyond lactose intolerance. All right. It'll kill me. I love the lactose. I love, uh, love all things dairy. Yep. I love milk. <laughs> like we, have, we have like three different kinds of milk in my refrigerator right now. It's all whole milk, by the way. Yeah. We have yogurt that we've made ourselves. Nice. And it's like loaded with probiotics. Good stuff. So anyway, I am not lactose intolerant. So you have lactase I am lac persistence. I have lactase persistence. It, gets, you it makes me weird. Um, that is, yeah. It's, but I happen a... to love it. I love cheese. I love, I love all that dairy. So for anybody who's going to like argue that um, we humans shouldn't be eating it, that's probably true for certain humans. Yeah. I don't think it's true for me. Yeah, I mean, you do you, right? <laughs> Um, right. Isn't it true that that many people are who are lactose intolerant just have very low levels of symptoms, or maybe they don't realize it, or maybe they are just in a so, culture that doesn't eat it that much? Or? I think that it really depends on the composition of your microbiota. Okay. And in fact, I do remember reading something that says that your lactase gene can be turned on or off, ah. kind of by signals that come from the microbiota. So in other words, here's one example of like, it's not just that you have the gene and so therefore it's always on, mm -hmm. and so therefore you can eat any dairy product throughout your life. You might exhibit a little bit plus or minus lactose intolerance, depending on whether you've had antibiotics or kind of the composition of the microbes in your guts, that that actually has an impact on your symptoms. So again, you highlighting, you can't talk about diet without talking about the microbiome. I'm yes. sorry, you just can't do it. Yep. I mean, I, can do it. I remember when I was a kid mm -hmm. and they just thought I was lactose intolerant. Yeah. Um, this was before I, I knew I was allergic to dairy. Right. Um, they told me, oh, have you tried eating yogurt? Because there's, mm. um, there are cultures inside of the yogurt and therefore they may actually help you digest the lactose that's in there. Um, and I, at the time I was like, well, no, that doesn't really work for mm -hmm. me either. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, so the it was a thinking, process. Chat is yes. that <laughs> the thinking is that the microbiome actually break down the lactose, so they kind of do the job right. for you, and they make it into lactic acid. Yep. So if you think about lac, lactation, the root comes from milk. Yeah. And so lactobacilli that are milk-associated bacteria, yep. they break down the lactose and they make it into lactic acid. <laughs> so all these things are milk-associated things. Very commonly in yeah. yogurt. That's what makes yogurt have that little bit of sour or acidic taste to it. Which one do I like out of the alternative nut milks? Ooh, um, that's a good question. Depends on what I'm using it for. Um, flax, not flax. Uh, I hemp. have heard good things about hemp, hemp milk, milk recently. Yeah. I have yeah. heard really good things about oat <laughs> milk recently. I have yet to try either of those, but mm. oat milk I think is the one that's on my uh, on my radar for the next thing I want to try. I have never tried oat milk. I didn't even know there was an oat I've, milk. I have heard that it is the most similar to regular milk, and it's awesome in coffee apparently. So oats in general, interestingly, they're a good source of fiber. Yes. I, I wonder if the fiber is still. Well, I call them beta beta glucans. I'm sure I'm getting this wrong, but they have a special kind of of fiber that's in oats and also mm. in barley that promotes a good microbiome. Mm -hmm. So maybe gotcha. that's maybe that's why the maybe that's why the oat milk is good for you. Maybe maybe. Um, but yeah, I, I typically go uh, between. I use soy butter. That's very good. Um, but then I have uh, I use almond milk for things that are more savory in nature, and then I typically use coconut milk for things that are more sweet in nature. So you didn't or mention... if I'm making like a curry or something. Yeah. Mm, that's making me hungry. I know, me too. So milk with a Y. Milk with I, a I Y. Like it's it. interesting. Yeah, I like that. There's it a, makes it more clear. There's an almond you know? milk called milk. Ooh. I, kind of, I like milk with a Y better. M-E-L-K, actually. M-A-L-K. M-A-L-K. Oh, <laughs> milk. wow. Milk. Sorry. Milk. That's just how people say milk sometimes. Milk. <laughs> Not to, you know. Uh, no mammalian estrogen in them. That's very true. That is very true. I wonder Nor how much estrogen is. Nor any other kinds of estrogen. In. I'm sure there's some. There's got to be some estrogen in milk, breast milk. In breast milk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. Dude, Drool. coconut curry, I know. I'm coconut, with you. Truly one of the best things so ever, good. right? Coconuts may be the perfect food. It's really good. It has both a drink in it yep. and just 
great source of protein and fat. These are shorter chain fatty acids that seem to have all kinds of beneficial health, health impacts on mm -hmm. you. So medium chain fats and short chain fatty acids um, are good. Lauric acid being the long, it's the, I believe it's the, it's the shortest fatty acid which is solid at room temperature. Mm. If you get any shorter than that, yours is pure, pure liquid. All right. Cool. Which is why coconut milk, if you buy it in the store, um, the, if you buy the, uh, the fat, mm -hmm. <laughs> we call it coconut oil. <laughs> yeah, right. Coconut oil. Yeah. If it's warm, like in the summertime, ours turns into liquid. Yep. And if it's cold, it turns into solid. Yeah, it's solid, right. Totally. All right. Yeah, yeah. So interestingly, the coconut oils actually seem to have beneficial impacts on your gut microbiota. Mm. And they might do that in part by actually destabilizing and, and making life harder for certain harmful kinds of microbes in your, in your guts. Because that lauric acid that's in, that's in coconut oil, it actually kills off pathogens. You can actually use it as an antimicrobial. Interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, so we talked a little, a little bit about alternative medicine last time. Mm -hmm. And I was listening to some skeptic podcast about the dentist who was going on and on about how stupid it is that people buy coconut oil, and they swish it around in their mouth and they spit it out. They're saying okay. this is not evidence-based and it's called oil pulling or something like that. Hmm. And really probably the rationale behind doing this that people give is incorrect, but there's a good biological basis for it. Okay. Because the microbes in your mouth, many of them really are harmful, and you can preferentially kill some of the bad ones with coconut oil. Again, hmm. please don't take anything I'm saying as sure. medical advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just saying this is biologically plausible and supported by some sure. microbiological evidence. Bottom line is that coconut oil is okay for you. Um, is there any truth to the fact that, sa I think this is true, yeah, that saturated fat is a basic building block for human cells? That is true. Yeah, I, I have heard this as an argument that people mention when, um, when there is this backlash against eating saturated fat, that you need some level of saturated fat. And if breast milk is the perfect evolved food, and it probably right. is if you're a baby. Yes. Um, breast milk contains the fat part of it is, I want to say, 60 or 70% saturated fat. Oh, it's wow. actually pretty high. Now, having said that, if you look at places where babies are healthiest, they tend to have more unsaturated fat or more mm -hmm. long-chain um, DHA and EPA, so these omega-3 fatty acids. Right, yes. They're super long-chain. They're not saturated. And so there is some evidence that having more of those is good for you. And in places where people lack access to those fats and you have more saturated fat, the babies can actually possibly do worse. So there's a paper done here in the state of New Mexico. Oh, they went to okay. the Navajo Reservation and they found that certain Navajo women had a very, very low amount of the unsaturated fat and that correlated with some bad outcomes mm, in babies. Okay. Whereas Melanie Martin and Michael Gervin and colleagues have done work in Bolivia and looked at a similar Native American group or Native Amerindian group, and the Chimane have very high levels of omega-3 fatty acids. Right. And it's possible that does their babies good. They also have really healthy hearts. They do. I have heard. Very little heart disease yes. and almost no allergies. Yeah. All right. So saturated fat is not all bad. Yes. yes. <laughs> it's just not all bad. Um, okay. Mucin. So when we talk about we talk about feeding our mi microbes, so we talked about feeding them with fiber, and we talked about feeding them with breast milk 